Welcome to the RevOps Baddie, where I bring you face-to-face with the badasses of the industry and uncover their secrets to success. Each week, I'll be diving into the minds of top leaders and experts to uncover their ideas, advice, and lessons learned around sales, marketing, customer success, and how they all come together to drive revenue growth. If you're ready to level up your RevOps game, then this is the podcast for you. So grab your headphones, buckle up, and get ready to join us on a journey to discover what it takes to become a true RevOps baddie. Welcome back to another episode of the RevOps Baddie. On today's episode, we have Chris Hoover with us, who is a professional in the field of RevOps and software sales operations and strategy. And he's worked for companies like Etsy, Zscaler, and many more. So super excited to have you here. Chris, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Sure. Um, so I think like a number of people that come into RevOps, I started by doing some of the big component pieces that sum up to RevOps. Uh, in my first career, I was a submarine officer in the Navy and I learned to lead large technical projects and continued to do the same as I started my civilian career. I led a cloud migration for Etsy onto Google Cloud, a few other projects. And in doing so, I understood better how to create some order out of that complexity when we're doing big things with software, whether it's selling it or integrating it. And to make that work well, I learned that there's some big cross-functional challenges that, that companies face as part of the whole. So it might be creating a staffing plan and a budget. It might be expanding territory or uh, budgeting, um, the the list kind of goes on. And so after doing more of those things and getting a little bit better at them, I realized that the sum of those pieces really look like RevOps. And there's a big need out there for a lot of companies to have that combination of skills. And most recently, I enjoyed doing that at Zscaler. I was leading revenue operations for their technical sales group. So sales engineers, solution architects, partner engineers. We um, we did a lot of high-impact projects there my few years at Zscaler, which we talk about. And most recently, I've been working on a few uh, personal projects to level up my skills and productivity around data integration. So that's kind of the the short version of my history. Yeah. And that history and experience is like super hot in the RevOps world right now, Um, especially when we're looking at any kind of new implementation or migration from one system to the next um, or consolidation. All three of them, I feel like, are just booming all at the same time. So um, I think all those really do impact revenue operations and the overall sales performance and strategy. So I would love to hear your opinion a little bit more on like, how does it impact, like I said, overall sales performance and strategy throughout the role of RevOps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the way I look at it is doubling down on healthy sales patterns and extracting from unhealthy sales patterns. So there's a level below that kind of the human part and the the data and systems part. But really, I think of it as like pattern recognition. How do you expand those healthy patterns? This kind of never ending but exciting detective work in terms of like what types of deals are going through, what is getting stuck and where. So that's kind of like sales organization sized version of it. But there's also a larger version of it 
that we hinted at before, which is like, how does that connect with the rest of the business? Marketing, product, finance, IT, HR. And so like the huge hidden part of revenue operations is being a cross-functional business leader to understand how budgeting and forecasting and systems integration and all of these things work cohesively. Those are like kind of two sides of the same coin that I think RevOps brings value within a business. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it probably is the most common question asked when it comes to the software industry or implementing software, migrating implementation, um, consolidation, you name it. Can you share some challenges that you've seen organizations face when it comes to RevOps sales strategy in the software industry or implementing some of these tech solutions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think scoping is maybe the biggest one. Just understanding whether something is six months or 18 months or dramatically different from those. And a really helpful tool that I've seen create some sanity and confidence in that is a, a pre-mortem. Um, so we talk a lot about like postmortems and like after action reports and all of that. But if we think about our future selves as an organization and say like, based on what we already know before embarking on this big and complicated project, what do we think we will later look back on and say we could have learned and maybe even like predicted or avoided? And so there's some good examples out there of like what a pre-mortem can do to help anticipate those rests. And then, as I mentioned, scope things a little bit more sizably. I remember one of your earlier guests on the show made a really good point about talking with vendors about like typical integration timelines and like, you know, how quickly do you onboard so many users or like, where do you get to the major chapters into a migration or an integration and just kind of like sanity checking with either like a referred, you know, another customer or um, your vendor on like, are your expectations reasonable? And are you building in the past lessons learned from similar projects to level up and avoid making those mistakes yourself? Yeah, I love the concept of a pre-mortem. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of the times our decision-making can be very reactive instead of having the proactive. And it's so funny, I, I just finished a uh, podcast and it had to do with um, interior design, helping your mental wellness, whatever, for my other podcast. And she made a really good point. I think there's a lot of similarities to here. It's like, you don't just enter a room and just throw everything in the middle and start putting it away. You you sit in the room and you're like, How, what's the intention of this room? How do I want things organized? How do I, where do I want the paints to go and the crayons and the desk? And we don't really take that mindset and concept into when we're implementing some of these things. It's just like, yes, we, we had three meetings and we like it and the price is good. Let's sign the contract. Okay, now do it. And you hand it off to someone who's like, well, what's our intention for this? So I love the idea of a pre-mortem. Totally. And you made a huge point there. I think you said, what is like the intention for the room? So the parallel there is like, what is the problem we're solving before we decide what the solution is? So not only is that implied to how you implement, but even further upstream and even more significant is what tool or solution are you selecting? And you can't make that decision until you have a well-defined problem. I think that's the biggest and most skipped step in all of this. Yeah. 
And so how does RevOps effectively align our three main departments of sales, marketing, and customer success within this concept or this industry? I think a a point of certainty that can create that alignment would be a North Star metric for the business. You can only have one number one priority that is at at any level. So for a business to run smoothly, and including the go-to-market function, that all has to be complementary and has to contribute directly to the North Star metric for the total business. So maybe that's revenue, maybe that's new logo signed up or new subscribers. It, it can be different things. It just has to be agreed upon by the whole business. And then from that, once the problem is defined, like we said, then we can talk about how to solve the problem of growing revenue or new logos or what have you. And so there will be inevitably contributing metrics and goals that support that North Star that each of the business areas own. But really that should be tested against whether it's the most direct contribution to the North Star metric. Does it support root cause analysis on whether we're getting there the fastest or is it more of a distraction? So I think that's like the core of how you unify those three parts that you mentioned. And for everyone that is in software sales and cares about software sales strategy, what are the key components of a successful software sales strategy? And and how can revenue operations support this execution? I mean, I, I think the question is around like what what does it mean to sell well and to market well? So there's there's definitely some tried and tested pillars to that. Do you have product market fit? Do you truly understand the customer's pain? and care directly about solving that with them. Those are some of the biggest. There's there's kind of like the what, and there's also more of like the how. So you can you can test and improve that through lead and deal qualification. Yeah, I would say it's it's really that core business function of like how are you focusing on the customer? How are you reaching them and solving something for them? Because selling shouldn't feel like solving. It should be like group problem solving. And then the operational component to that should just make it work fairly effortlessly, where the automatable things are delegated to a computer and the purely creative things are left to us humans to enjoy and flourish in. Yeah, it's really interesting. When I first started at scale like two and a half-ish years ago, my approach was like, okay, let me just tell you about us, what we do, what we have, our services, our foundation, blah, blah. And then I realized like the less talking you do, the easier it is to close the deal because instead of like, okay, yes, this is us, but you know, who cares about us? I want to know what are your problems? What are your pain points? It's really information grabbing and listening (laughs) which is hard for some people, but it's like listening. And then it's like, okay. And then let me repeat this back to you. Like you're having your biggest issues are when blah, blah, and blah. And they're like, yes. Like, okay, that's interesting. So we, we can help with that. And this is some examples that we've done instead of trying to push and sell. And I think that's the world we live in is that when it's engaging and interactive and collaborative, People are more open to that because they want that authentic, vulnerable connection versus I know that you you care about this because you're a VP of whatever. And they're like, I actually don't care about that. So I like that. I like that you said that. Yeah, we, we don't hear that crucial information if we're doing too much talking ourselves. We can't be listening while we're talking so much. So it's it's so key. And it, it resonates through like 
every context. So that's an internal thing too. So like when we were talking about the relationship between marketing and sales, all the internal groups, it, it all goes through that same theme. If we're going to have like a unified vision and march towards the same revenue goal, that means we've got to be listening to customer feedback. We got to be listening to what the capabilities and limitations of our product roadmap are. And so like the the importance of listening is just as much an internal thing within GoToMark as it is like in the external context that we talked about. Let's kind of move to data because everyone's wondering how can we leverage data and insights to help optimize revenue growth or sales? It definitely starts, like we talked about, with defining the problem before the solution. Like, what, what do we need data to solve? Um, and then we can decide which data and, and how it's applied. Assuming that's completed and, you know, we've got like a revenue target to forecast towards and orient our data towards. I think the next big decision point is how does the the specific business we're working on balance between uh, sophistication of data and systems and usability of them? Like with most things, the truth kind of lies between the extremes. And so it's easy to get overcomplicated with so many different interconnected systems and like an array of dashboards that just kind of blind us and overwhelm us. Or just having a couple vanity metrics that we check for curiosity, but have no means to pull root cause analysis through. So it's going to look different for a startup versus a big corporation, but I think that's the test of how the data and the insights are serving us or not. They have to be simple enough to be usable, but sophisticated enough to do that root cause analysis. And what flows from that, I would say, is integrating that into like a cultural decision process. So data is only useful to the extent the actions we take with it. If we're just looking at it, from curiosity, then we're wasting our time. We're putting the time cost for no return into it. So having a culture around how decisions are made and how data is used or not used to make speedy, confident enough decisions, I would say is like the final cap to that working really well. Yeah. And also I think to add to that, data is only as good as the accuracy that it has. We work with a lot of companies, and I'm sure you've seen this, um, in cleaning up data, especially when you're migrating from one system to the next, or you or you grew so quickly that you didn't have the proper, for example, Salesforce admin to implement the best practices. And now you're at a point now where it's like, all of a sudden you've got 25 SCRs and they're all in there doing their own stuff and there's no process. You're like, please help me. <laughs> uh. Please clean my mess up. I'm, uh, we can't use any of this data. So how can organizations like continually assess and improve RevOps and sales strategy to stay competitive in the industry? What are some of your recommendations? I, I think it comes down to kind of like the the goal setting that we talked about before as far as like tiered could be OKRs or another system, but having a cohesive roll-up of different levels within sales and marketing the other organization to the business 
North Star. So that that's going to change when you move more from startup to a larger corporation. So having like a regular interval and a continuous review and open communication between those those business functions is really key. Purely on the data standpoint, I think there's some really big things that people can do to level up the return on their data. So one would be getting out of the monitoring mindset. We look at data often just by kind of persistent dashboards. You can open it up 24 hours a day and see what's there. But not all data deserves the same amount of our attention. Having expiring metrics or seasonal metrics is really crucial so that we can put that reclaimed time towards higher value things when that metric doesn't matter. And then just getting totally away from monitoring as a whole where it's not warranted and going into alerting is a really high value approach. So what I mean is if you don't nine out of 10 times take an action when you look at a metric, but you really care if it changes a lot, then just send a push to your phone or to Slack or whatever you have when it's changed the amount you want it to or don't want it to. And and then you reclaim all of that time and trust your metrics and their value too, because you're not kind of glazing your eyes over every time you look at the metric. You're only looking at it at the time that you're very likely to take action on it. So that is going to evolve in its sophistication, like we talked about, as the company grows. The company will have more resources to create that nuance between monitoring and learning and create a little bit more of a menu of options for leaders in terms of evergreen metrics, seasonal metrics, expiring metrics where you're solving a one-time you know, root cause or troubleshooting something. So slowly layering in that nuance with the data philosophy is pretty key to how the organization scales. I have some thoughts in terms of like the human processes as well, in terms of like how program management is built around that. But I'll pause for the moment because I, I think just the data alone is a pretty sizable topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that to add to the data, since we're talking about that is you, you identified some of those metrics having seasonal metrics. I love that considering alerts, monitoring data, um, looking to see if there's, you know, only really getting flagged if you actually are going to done that. I think those are all really great metrics um, to consider. So what what's a seasonal metric? Is it just something where you're like, we only really care about this in this quarter or this month? Or can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, that's exactly right. We look at either the calendar or the quarter or whatever cycles the business operates on and say, for the times where we're not likely in the season to take action, let's just turn this thing off and then let it be a greater focus, a focal point of our attention when we're at that point of the season to take action on it. So this is a little bit of a different example from RevOps, but when you go into like Black Friday and Cyber Monday and e-commerce... Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so you know it already. Yeah, so there, there are things that you would do then with way more rigor than you would do in say like the middle of the week in May or something. So scale things up and down as the reality really requires, not out of habit, not out of like a perceived sense of obligation. Think about like, what do the results really depend on? And then strip away all of the rest outside of that season. I love that advice. I used to work for a company where we had like this insane metric KPI dashboard. And like, I just remember me particularly was assigned like 33 different KPIs. And 
I had to go every week, every month and update them. And like a lot of them was just like such a small change. It was not impactful. And we really only cared about it. Really, it only changed and, and we cared about it during certain times. And I just remember being like, I have to pull this data because someone's going to want to look at the data if it's not there. So I have to pull it. I have to do the pivot and the VLOOKUP and all of the stupid stuff that I have to do for this metric. And it ate up so much of my time and no one really cared about it. So I love that because it's just thinking like that adds up if you're doing 33 KPIs or 33 reporting pieces where let's yep. say if half of them weren't needed, well, maybe that just frees me up three hours a week now that I could work on other things. So I really like that call out. Yeah. I mean, that that goes straight towards what we talked about in terms of the total business functioning cohesively, sales, marketing, product, everyone. So not everything can be the first priority and that includes the metrics. So a good practice is to create, use more of an engineering term, SLAs, like service level availabilities or expectations where our tier one metrics, you know, we, we can report and discuss and root cause, analyze those on a moment's notice, but these other tiers of metrics are not intentionally top of mind. And so it's going to take a little bit more time to honor our priorities and answer questions on those. And setting those expectations up front organizationally will lead to healthier conversations around why it might take a little bit more time to get to those lower priorities. Yeah. I, I had a saying where I, where I would, every week when we report on these, I'd be like, if everything is important, then nothing is. Um, that was like my saying always. It never really caused any chain reaction there, but I still say it because I do believe that is that if we put importance on everything, then we don't really know what actually is important. So I love that. Okay. Everybody wants to know they're scaling, they're growing, whether that means revenue wise, whether that means people or 1099s or whatever it may be. What are some insights on how these companies can adapt their rev ops and sales strategy as they grow and scale? We talked about the metrics, some staffing is one you mentioned, kind of different strategies around 1099 versus full-time. I think when when we look at large commitments towards growth, particularly on the cost side, there's some justified hesitation on like, how do we spend? How do we start a new kind of spending? And how do we fail fast along that because we won't get it perfectly every time? So the idea of having like fixed length contractors, um, having some consulting or fixed length projects along the way that can test the size of a need before there's, you know, like a batch of 50 or a hundred more employees that are added. So, you know, every, every decision is fairly reversible, but some are more painfully reversed. So yeah, I would say like, you know, on the staffing front, the idea of kind of interspersing some contract help is is a huge signal that we can gain on before we turn some of those roles into full-time hires. On maybe more of the systems front, definitely helpful to talk with sibling level businesses, maybe in adjacent industries to understand how much they're leaning into automating their problems and how much of an upfront cost is warranted in doing that. So you might automate something over six or 12 months of work before you really get the fruits of those labor and then decide that, you know, your goal shifted. And that would not be like a throwaway work, piece of work that you're willing to accept. And so, so sometimes like 
spreadsheets are the way to go. As painful as it is to admit and as bad as it sounds, sometimes when you look at kind of like the the time cost of our efforts long-term, not everything needs a fancy integration or automation. I've, I've heard you talk on your show about AI and the shininess and the fanciness of that and how we can get caught up in a more sophisticated solution. But if we define the problem well and understand the cost upfront of implementation, then that can kind of help us throttle the gas and the brakes as we run the like the, the longer race and don't you know overinvest in something that feels sophisticated and feels like progress, although it might slow us down. Yeah, I love that. I know we're wrapping up. Super curious, share a success story or an example that you know of where a software company has achieved some pretty cool results by optimizing RevOps and sales strategy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll share an example from my time at Zscaler. So it was really helpful to just set defined conditions for part of the sales pipeline that we wanted to troubleshoot and level up. In this case, it was understanding where deals were a later sales stage, but an earlier technical sales stage. So maybe the finishing touches on a technical proof of concept or demo needed a little bit more attention to get the deal over the line. But holistically across you know, the sum of deals worldwide, we wanted to see patterns in terms of how the technical sales pipeline and sales pipeline moved in parallel in a complementary way or did not, where they they got disjoined. And so like what sort of indicators could we see in advance to predict and improve a slightly disjoined sales cycle and then close more deals um, as a result of that? So that really hinged on having a well-defined problem statement and then setting at least initially well-constrained conditions for sales stage, technical stage, et cetera. And then looking at the data to solve that exact problem. And then, you know, showing that with the leaders to help them have confidence in the communication between technical sales and sales groups, and then having some well-defined actions and goals from how we move those sales stages in concert. So that was, that was a win looking at it from that way. Really neat. And then what is one piece of advice you'd give anyone listening to today's episode? You know, I'd have to take the opportunity of just emphasizing that North Star metric concept. Some people kind of talk about it as like having first principles, but everything to me stems from that. So having like a unified standard of how you measure success and how you define a successful decision or action, um, what is it all rolling up to, whether it's revenue, new logos, those examples. I think starting there will create continuity and cooperation between the business units like nothing else will. So that that would be my point to, to end on. I like it. And then if anyone has questions or want to continue the conversation, uh, where can they find you? LinkedIn would be the best. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time today. Really awesome conversation. So many incredible insights. Just really appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Brianna. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me on. 